Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So we have a fun topic today. We're going to be discussing some obscure and unintuited rules that you may not be aware of and which can prevent your deck from working. Uh, And we have a very special guest with us to discuss exactly how these unusual rules work. Uh, Charlotte Sable, friend of the show, and one of the members of the Commander Advisory Group. Welcome back, Charlotte. Good to be back. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, Happy to be here to share some of my uh, judge knowledge and all of that. Yes. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Charlotte is a level three judge. So she is very able to talk us through all the interactions uh, that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, so we've got a bunch of examples of, of cards that uh, we think people are playing incorrectly. Now we're, we're judging this based off of uh, seeing these cards in decks of commanders uh, that they don't work with. It's entirely possible that there could be some other reason why people are playing these cards, um, but we're going to take it on faith that if if this card doesn't work with your commander, it's probably because you don't understand uh, that rules interaction. Um, so I'm going to start us off uh, with commanders that let you cast spells of a specific creature type from your graveyard and the card ashes of the fallen Uh, so ashes of the fallen is two mana artifact as ashes of the fallen enters the battlefield choose a creature type each creature card in your graveyard has the chosen creature type in addition to its other types and uh, there are a lot of commanders that can allow you to cast say like night spells from your graveyard insect spells from your graveyard zombie spells from your graveyard dragon spells from your graveyard the common well of design that they keep returning to. Um, but Charlotte, if you could explain for us why this interaction doesn't work, it seems like it should. Like the cards in your graveyard have the type. Uh, you can cast spells of your graveyard from the type. What's the disconnect there? Um, so sure. So the difference here is tied into basically how um, a lot of older cards, including like Hack On, Stronghold Surge, is sort of the poster boy for this one um it's how the wordings on on like casting spells has changed and how the rules have changed around that basically what it is is when you're casting a spell now to be able to legally cast that spell you look at what the spell looks like on the stack rather than what it looked like wherever it was before you cast it so while uh ashes of the fallen can make you know, all the creature cards in your graveyard knight cards, and Hakon lets you cast knight spells from your graveyard. Um, They're not knight spells once they actually go on the stack because his ability stops interacting with them there. Um, And again, this is also due to, you know, Hakon was printed uh, with different wording. His, like, he hasn't had a printing that actually matches his current oracle text right like his printed text says you may play knight cards from your graveyard which makes it seem absolutely like it should work but his printed text is you can cast knight spells from your graveyard Mm -hmm. right yeah it's a great point and i think that it's because of that sort of outdated wording that so many of the hack on decks on edh rec are running ashes of the fallen um there's not a lot of hack on decks out there it's only 120 on EDH rec, but 72% of them have Ashes of the Fallen in there. So clearly, uh, 
not everyone is aware of this rules interaction. And we, we definitely wanted to highlight this rules interaction because we've seen some commanders printed recently that like also kind of grant you the ability to cast things out of your graveyard. We've got Rivaz of the Claw in Dominaria United. We've got Zask, Skittering Swarm Lord in Jumpstart 2022. Um, these also don't work with Ashes of the Volant uh, for the same yeah. reasons Charlotte just uh, uh, illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly with Hakon, it also means you can't. There's a lot of like uh, night cards that also have adventures printed on them from Eldraine. And so mm-hmm. you can't cast the adventure halves of those from your graveyard with Hakon, or as another example. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a great point. Um, but speaking of casting things from your graveyard, uh, I want to talk about another type of interaction that probably doesn't work the way you think it does. Um, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of commanders out there that let you cast spells from your graveyard, some of the ones we just mentioned, but also just things like Muldrotha the Gravetide. Um, and recently we've seen some cards printed with a very specific type of trigger. Uh, when this card enters the battlefield from a graveyard. So we saw this on uh, Canoptic Tomb Sentinel, for example, from the Warhammer 40k decks. Uh, Canoptic Tomb Sentinel is a 4-mana, four 4-3 four, artifact creature insect with Vigilance, and when it enters the battlefield from a graveyard, exile up to 1 target non-land permanent, and has Unearth for 7. Um, so uh, tell us a bit about why casting Canoptic Tomb Sentinel from your graveyard using a Muldrotha or a similar commander uh, doesn't work. What's the problem here? Well, I mean, it's sim- it's simple because when you're casting a spell, it goes on the stack and then it mm-hmm. you know, enters the battlefield or otherwise resolves from the stack, not from the graveyard. So You would be surprised, though. Uh, I'm seeing uh, of Muldrotha the Gravetide decks that have been updated on EDHREC since the Warhammer 40k printing, uh, 27% of them are running Canoptic Tomb Sentinel, despite the fact that like that particular interaction doesn't work. You can always unearth the Canoptic Tomb Sentinel to get your trigger. Yeah. Uh, but I, I suspect that most of the people putting this into their Muldrotha deck are, are planning to cast it and get the trigger that way. And mm-hmm. so... <laughs> uh, yeah. You would need I, to have a wording more similar to uh, Breathness, Breathless Knight from Modern Horizons 2, which says, you know, if it entered from a graveyard or you cast it from a graveyard sort of thing, right? Yeah, and that was definitely something I was uh, harping on when we s- saw these cards in the Warhammer 40k deck. Like, I... Because mm-hmm. there were... Uh, like, you could swap out one of the commanders in the the Necron deck. You could just play, like, Anrakir the Traveler and have a commander that could cast artifact spells from your graveyard. So there was like opportunities within the the precon, like in the biodome, for people to get that rule wrong. And and especially like for a product that's oriented towards maybe people who are coming from Warhammer 40k and don't understand that it goes like graveyard stack battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so hopefully they they uh adjust mm-hmm. their templating a little bit in the future. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is one that a lot of people are messing up already. Yeah, even even like a line of text that says casting it from the graveyard, you know, won't cause this ability to trigger sort of thing. Yes. But yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, it's 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 this one. This one is more should be easier for more people to figure out. But it's just a lot of people like with magic. A lot of people take shortcuts, and it's easy to think that oh, just because the stack is sort of an invisible zone, a lot of people you know just sort of think oh, it was there and now it's here, so it triggers. And and I mean, it also it also. You know, could be because, you know, Canoptech Tomb Sentinel has Unearth, and it's like you put that ability on the stack, but you don't put the card on the stack, which is a different thing. And it's a big, you know, can cause some headaches, right? So, yeah. And, and I think it is yeah. perhaps the job of the designers to avoid mm-hmm. these like unintuitive issues when they're mm-hmm. designing cards, but uh, I'll, I won't speak too much on that. Um, mm-hmm. I think this next issue or this next rules interaction is uh, definitely a more unintuitive one. And mm-hmm. I think we're, we're seeing a lot more people trapped by this. Um, so there are a number of commanders that allow you to cast spells during combat. Uh, Narset and Lightened Master being a common example of them. Um, so when Narset attacks, you exile the top four cards of your library. Or, or sorry, uh, Velomachus Lorehold would be a good example of one. Um, so Velomachus Lorehold uh, is uh, one of the founders of the Strixhaven Colleges. Uh, when he attacks, you look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with a mana value less than or equal to Velomachus Lorehold's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, and one thing that uh, people have a, or, or one interaction that doesn't work particularly well with Velomachus Lorehold uh, is cards like Relentless Assault or Seize the Day. Uh, there are a number of extra combat effects that have the, the particular wording, um, untap all creatures you, that attack this turn. After this main phase, there is an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. Uh, so maybe explain the interaction here. Why why wouldn't these type of, of cards work together? The tricky point there is the wording that says after this main phase. Uh, which means that it needs the the phase it's resolving in to be a main phase for that clause to take effect, right? Um, you know, right? I mean, it would be like, you know, something that said after this draw step, there's an additional draw step. And it's like, okay, but if it's not my draw step, then, you know. Yeah, so people will like, essentially attempt to cast Relentless Assault alt of, off of Velomachus Lorehold, and the card will just yeah. do... It'll resolve, but it will accomplish nothing. Um, right. And this is definitely something that is tripping up a lot of people. If you look at the Velomachus Lorehold page on EDHREC, uh, 48% of those decks are running Relentless Assault, and 45% of those decks are running Seize the Day. Uh, so it's it's something that... I think most people aren't aware of, and I'm, I'm glad we have you here, Charlotte, to <laughs> clarify this for us. 32% are running waves of aggression. Mm-hmm. Definitely an, an, uh, an unintuitive area of the rules, and I'm glad. I, th- I think modern extra combat effects uh, don't use that after this main phase wording. We haven't seen a new one like that for a while, and I, I think it's just because of these interactions that it's causing that yeah, um, uh, led that yeah, templating change. Yeah, there's cards that are better that say, 
they either say after this phase or something like World of Wars. World at War is really good because it's after the first post combat main phase. Because mm-hmm. that one has rebound, and so the second time it's cast, it resolves in your upkeep. So, but basically, I don't think there's other cards that say after this blah. There's another blah, but like other than that, but uh, looks like the most recently printed one was Resurgence from. Uh, Oh, the Ravnica. Ravnica block. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but well, I think it's worth keeping this interaction in mind uh, mm-hmm. just with any of the commanders that, that cast things during combat. So that's yeah. Jaleva, Atali, um, Tetsuo, Imperial Champion, uh, Ken, yeah. Burning Brawler, Eleven the Mage. There's a handful of these, and you definitely want to keep that in mind. You're, you're yeah. running any of these commanders. Yeah, um, but yeah, newer ones all definitely have the different text. Like Karlak, Fury of Avernus, says after this phase, so does Zeriel's uh, emblem, so does Ryu, Storm's Edge. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad that they, they've sort of clarified that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. All right, I, I think we can move on to the next interaction. This is a, a fairly narrow one. Um, but it kind mm-hmm. of plays in, in one of the spaces we've been talking about before. So this is X spells and Luris of the Dream Den. Uh, so Luris of the Dream Den uh, is, of course, one of the companions. And, and the most important text on it is, during each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, one permanent spell that uh, a lot of people appear to be running in their Luris decks is the Meat Hook Massacre, which is X black black for a legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you gain one life. So clearly people seem to be expecting that they can cast a Meat Hook Massacre for X equals five and just repeatedly wipe the board. Um, Tell me why this interaction doesn't work. Well, this goes back to the same sort of situation as our Ashes of the Fallen. Basically, uh, it, to check if the spell you're casting from your graveyard is legal, you look at how it looks on the stack. And while Meat Hook Massacre on the battlefield uh, and during deck construction has a two mana value, and so it's uh, you know fine for Luris's companion condition or whatever, when you put it on the stack with X equals five, its mana value is then seven. And so that doesn't work. You can still cast it from your graveyard with X equals zero. And then it's just, you know, a fine sort of, uh, you know, Blood aristocrats, en- aristocrats yeah. enchantment, right? But it's, you know, not what you want to have it in the deck for, I'm sure. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, it appears that 28% of Luris decks on EDH rec are running the meat hook massacre. So if you yeah. are, I, I know our listeners would of course not make this mistake, but perhaps if a friend of yours is, is running it in there, definitely let them know that it doesn't quite work the way they want it to. Yeah. Um, and I think this next one we're going to talk about uh, is one that you uh, have a little bit of knowledge is if I remember right, did, did you ever build that Obeka deck? I never built it, but I wrote about uh, I wrote a fairly lengthy article about Obeka and what does and doesn't work with her. Yeah. 
Oh, great. Yes. Uh, so uh, the interaction we're going to be talking about here is Obeka Brute Chronologist or Sundial the Infinite, um, both of which are able to end the turn and mm. effects that say until end of turn. Um, so maybe explain this for us and, and and help us understand what the difference is between these until end of turn effects and things that say like at the beginning of your end step and, and why those are different. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, the basic difference on the on the most basic level until end of turn is a duration, right? It's a duration of an effect that's going to happen. So your typical sort of threaten effects, um, you know, gain control of a thing, untap it, gain, you know, untap a thing, gain control of it until end of turn, it has haste. That the until end of turn part means, you know, this is the duration for the control change. And it ends at the end of the turn. It's not a second, it's not a delayed trigger, it's not whatever. Whereas at the end step is the timing for a delayed trigger, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, for, if, if both of them are being set up by a spell, right? Like, uh, what's a spell that makes a sacrifice at end step? Oh, just like a heat shimmer or something? Yeah. Yeah, heat shimmer is a good example, right? Um, so yeah, heat shimmer is create a token copy of target creature, except it has haste, and at the beginning of the end step, exile this permanent. Although that's still a trigger, right? That's still a trigger that goes on the permanent, so it's easier to see. Yeah, if you're looking for like an until end of turn, maybe just like a threaten effect. Yeah, yeah, but I'm more just like yeah, or something like uh, daring piracy from the new jumpstart set, right? That mm. you know, beginning of combat on your turn, create a one red pirate creature token with medicine haste, exile it at the beginning of the next end step. The exile it at the beginning of the next end step thing doesn't look like a trigger because it's not templated like one, but it is a trigger. Yeah, and it also doesn't help things that a lot of older cards the uh beginning of the next end step, or at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the end step or beginning of the next end step was templated at end of turn and so until there was until end of turn and at end of turn and they were meant different things but it caused a lot more confusion yes definitely yeah but anyway um even with modern templating though people are are making these mistakes Um, oh yeah absolutely yeah if you look at the obeka decks on edh rec 21 percent of them are running molten primordial uh, which is one of those until end of turn triggers now, Molten Primordial, maybe it's just a, a fine card, uh, but I suspect if it's on EDH Rec in a deck that's all about yeah. like uh, exiling these at end of turn or at the beginning of the end step triggers, mm-hmm. people may just not understand that fine distinction you've been explaining. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then there's also the issue that even with the at end of turn stuff, um, and at the beginning of the next end step triggers, you need to just ending your turn before your end step isn't going to get rid of those either. You have to wait until your end step begins, put those triggers on the stack, and then end your turn to exile all of those triggers so that they don't happen, right? Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, if you end the turn before the end step, then they're just going to yeah. pop up in the next end step, right? Right. All right, I think we can move on to the next one, though. We've still got uh, a lot of, of issues to talk about, a lot of interesting rules interactions that come up in yep. Commander. Um, this next one centers around uh, Tangarth 
first made is, is going to be, be the example we use, but really it's anything that puts a creature into play tapped and attacking. Um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so this comes up a lot, but there's a, a difference between um, when something is like just is attacking or is put in attacking versus when it attacks. Um, so help us understand uh, that issue a bit better. And and since you've, of course, uh, play Alesha so much, I'm sure there's lots of opportunities yeah. for it to come up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Tangarth first mates, uh, the relevant ability says whenever an opponent attacks with one or more creatures, if Tangarth is tapped, you may have that opponent gain control of Tangarth until end of turn. If you do choose a player Planeswalker, that opponent is attacking. Tangarth is attacking that player or Planeswalker. So it's not like... So basically, he changes control and is attacking. His state goes from not attacking to attacking. But the thing is, to triggers that care about uh, whenever whatever attacks, so like Shiny Impetus says whenever enchanted creature attacks, you make a treasure token. The thing is, something attacks when it is declared as an attacker during the declare attacker's step. If it was never declared as an attacker, it never attacked, though it can be attacking, which is a weird thing. This also applies to, you know, ninjutsu and things that, you know, are reanimated attacking, tokens that enter attacking. Tangar's a really weird thing because it, it's a permanent on the battlefield that just becomes attacking, which is, I think, first of its kind. I think you may be right there, yeah. Yeah. Um... Although it does lead to the fun scenario where uh, you can build a Tangarth deck with the express purpose to kill yourself as fast as possible with your own commander damage. (laughs) (laughs) And definitely get some gamer score for pulling that one off. But yeah, I think that uh, this is a a, a subtle distinction and it's one that a lot of the people building the Tangarth decks may not be aware of. Um, Shiny Impetus, as you mentioned, is in 72% of these Tangarth decks. Um, Sword of the Animist, which has an attack trigger, Mage Slayer, which has an attack trigger. Um, those are in twenty seven percent and twenty six percent of Tangarth decks, respectively. So clearly, there's a lot of people who are expecting that Tangarth will be attacking on multiple people's turns, uh, but that's that's not exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Um... Yeah, also need to be wary of a couple of the uh, backgrounds, like Guild Artisan and Hardy Outlander in the case of Tangarth. I don't know how Mm. much they're played, but, you know, they give your commander whenever this creature attacks a player. And it's like, that doesn't work because, again, he doesn't attack, right? So, Yeah, excellent point. Yeah. Well, speaking of cards from Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate... Uh, we've got an example from there. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about cards that say like at the beginning of your end step, if something happened and end step triggers. Um, so the example we're going to be discussing here is Minthara Merciless Soul. And she has, uh, at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, you get an experience counter. Maybe tell us a bit about some of the cards that people are putting in these Minthara decks that just don't work and, and why that is. Sure. So some of the bigger ones are Teleportation Circle at 40%, uh, 
Uh, Braids, Arisen Nightmare, 31%. Far Traveler, 29%. And the problem is these are all also beginning of your end step triggers. And so you would think, oh, I can just stack the triggers so that, you know, the blink effect happens first or, an you know, or I get to sacrifice a thing or whatever. But that doesn't work because Minthara's ability is templated in such a way that it has that intervening if clause. So basically, if a trigger has when or at or whatever, something happens, comma, if something else, comma, then an effect. Uh, the if is a secondary requirement. Basically, when the first trick, the first part is the trigger condition, right? So in Minthara's case, it's at the beginning of your end step. But then that if clause has to be true for the ability to actually trigger and go on the stack, right? It doesn't check on resolution. It checks when it's when it would trigger to see if it actually triggers at all. So in the case of these things, if nothing, if a permanent you control hasn't left the battlefield this turn yet, having teleportation circle or braids or far traveler isn't going to help you because your ability just won't trigger at all, no matter how you stack your triggers. Fascinating. Uh, so I, I think that clearly that's, that's something that some of these Minthara players need to learn. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, appreciate that uh, mm -hmm. explanation of these intervening ifs. Um, yeah. I mean, not to say that these cards don't have value in a Minthara deck, because you're probably playing things that want to be blinked anyway, but you're probably much better off playing stuff like uh, an Eldrazi Displacer or, well, you can't play uh, MEO. In Nithara, but maybe like a, a gale powder mage yeah something yeah gale powder happen. mage or you know even like black ninjas she'd be a good home for some black ninjas and mm -hmm. such right that actually cool. Nithara ninjas with that her like creatures you control get buffed and you know you play some of the black unblockable stuff that would be sweet mm -hmm. Ooh, and she's black white so you could like build it with like a shadow sub theme Oh, interesting. That could be sweet. Uh, definitely a lot of directions to take that commander. Um, th this next rules interaction is a really obscure one, I think. I had to it's like. Also very, it's also very new, so. Yeah. Um, so this has only been relevant since, uh, I believe, Zendikar Rising was when yeah. this rules change uh, was yeah. implemented. Um, was, what was that? What was that artifact that. First made uh, token, token, like first oh, copy yeah. spells. Lithoform engine, I think. Yeah, um, right. It just got the cool brown border reprint in the uh, Brothers War Commander decks. Nice. Um, well, the, the issue we're going to be talking about is commanders that copy permanent spells and doubling token creation. For example, Tanos the Toymaker is three green blue for three five whenever you cast a beast or bird creature spell you may copy it except the copy is an artifact in addition to its other types uh the copy becomes a token so ever since zendikar rising whenever you copy a permanent spell uh it that copy becomes a token or rather well yeah it becomes a token as it enters the battlefield um and uh, what people have been doing is is in these decks where the commanders copy permanent spells, they've been running things like Parallel Lives or Doubling Season that are worded, you know, if an effect would create one or more tokens under your control, it creates twice that many of those tokens instead. 
Uh, so Charlotte, help us understand why that interaction doesn't quite work. Right. So um, basically the, the main issue is with the wording on the parallel lives and doubling season that references creating the tokens and a token that enters the battlefield because it was the copy of a permanent spell. Basically it's not being created. It's just the result of that copied spell entering the battlefield. And since it's a permanent spell that's resolving without a card to represent it, it has to be represented by a token, but the token isn't being created in the traditional sense that an effect, you know, create two one one white soldier creature tokens or whatever. Right. Like, um, and so it doesn't cause parallel lives or doubling season to trigger. And so it just doesn't work here. Right. Like it's still a token. And so if something is looking for tokens to enter the battlefield, that'll trigger, but it's also not, but it's not being created. And that create keyword action is the, the key here. Right. Yeah, it's definitely like a very subtle uh, vocabulary thing that's going on. So you are copying a spell to create a copy or or like to make a copy. And then that copy is becoming a token. uh, But the word like the token is never created at at any point. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely an interesting interaction. Um, Currently as of the time of recording 40% of Thanos, the toy maker decks on EDH rec uh or sorry 20 percent of Thomas the Toymaker decks on edh rec are running parallel lives so yeah. I, I think this is some knowledge that uh certainly our listeners already knew it i'm sure but perhaps some people out there could could stand to learn a little bit more about the the nitty-gritty yeah. of token creation yeah um well speaking of another new commander coming uh right around the brothers war uh we've got a New commander, Ashnod the Uncaring, and there are a bunch of cards that don't work with this for various reasons. Um, So Ashnod the Uncaring has the ability, uh, when you activate an ability of an artifact or creature that isn't a mana ability, if one or more permanents were sacrificed to activate it, you may copy that ability. You may choose new targets for the copy. Um, So... Some of the the cards people are putting in these decks include Ashnod's Altar, uh, which has sacrifice a creature, add CC to your mana pool, Um, Mm -hmm. or Arkham Dagson, which has tap, colon, target artifact creature's controller, sacrifices it. That player may search their library for a non-creature artifact card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on here and, and... do these cards work with Ashnod the way people might be expecting them to? Right. So basically what's going on here is, uh, well, with Ashnod's altar, obviously it's a mana ability. So yes, you're sacrificing your creature, but the ability of the Ashnod's altar is a mana ability. So that's just discounted based on the wording of Ashnod's ability itself. Um, and this is a situation where I think, um, a little bit of knowledge goes uh, wrong, basically, because people will think, oh, you know, people who learn like a tiny bit, like what's a mana ability? And then they look it up. And it's like, oh, it doesn't have a target. Oh, well, Ashnod's Altar, I'm sacrificing a thing. So that must target my creature. No, it doesn't. 
right? Mm. So in that case, so Ashnod's Altar, it's a mana ability. A mana ability is an activated ability that doesn't target, isn't a loyalty ability, and would add mana to your mana pool when it resolves, right? Um, and so Ashnod's Altar fulfills all those things, so it's a mana ability. And thus doesn't work. Arkham Dagson and Goblin Welder. I think the issue here might be colon placement for these guys. Yeah, it's the wording, basically, right? Like, uh, yeah. So both Arkham Dagson and Goblin Welder do reference the artifact being sacrificed, but both of those have it as part of the effect rather than the cost. And Ashnod would trigger after the ability is activated, and upon activation, nothing sacrificed right mm-hmm. so ashnod doesn't work with goblin welder but it does work with what's the modern horizons one oh uh goblin engineer yeah it works fine with goblin engineer because that actually has an a sacrifice cost right mm-hmm. yeah it's red cap sack and artifact so she'll work perfectly fine with goblin engineer but she doesn't like goblin welder because goblin welder has weird old templating and technically, on the old template of Goblin Welder, it didn't even use the term sacrifice. It used, like, an exchange, which was really weird and didn't quite work out <laughs> the rules. And then Arkham Dagson is, I think, very much uh, quasi-based on Goblin Welder, so that's why they made it uh, work that way. Um, and also, just in general, you know, Arkham Dagson can be used offensively as well, or can be used against opponents things rather than just on your own things. Though most people use it on their own things to, uh, you know, make Do a bunch of treasure t- treasure tokens and then just have one or two big artifacts in your deck, right? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, but you go, you know, the basic thing there is you can't sacrifice someone else's stuff. So since it can they be, had to word it, it in an odd a, way, the same, it's the same thing with Goblin Welder, right? Because it can affect other players too. Which is really annoying if someone else, if you've ever had someone goblin welder away your combo pieces in a game of commander. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you can get back that vault of whispers or whatever, right? Like, so yeah, I'm usually the guy doing the offensive goblin welding. Yeah, like ah, yeah. How about you get that vault of whispers instead of that blight steel colossus? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's basically that if. Ashnod, it needs to come before the colon on the activated ability to be and also it can't be something you're sacrificing to pay a cost of the ability as her reminder text indicates yes great point um so i i think that some Ashnod, the uncaring players may do well to learn that these these rules uh it looks like 36 percent of Ashnod, the uncaring decks are running goblin welder Thirty-three uh, percent yeah. of them are running Ashnod's altar, so uh, definitely some some opportunities yeah. for education out there. Yeah, uh, I mean Ashnod's altar is probably just fine from a flavor perspective, and just you know, if the ability is making a token creature, then yeah, having the altar to make more mana is fine. But it also doesn't, you know. Yeah, again, copy. it is hard. You're right; it is yeah. difficult to read intent just from looking at these stats. It is yeah. possible that most of these players are just running things from a flavor perspective, um, yeah. but it it looks like perhaps mm, some education is in order. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on to the next category. Uh, this is one that 
that happens across a bunch of different decks on EDH rec. Um, this is the interaction between Myriad Landscape and Wastes. Yeah. Uh, so Myriad Landscape is a land that enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for colorless. And it has two tap, sacrifice Myriad Landscape. Search your library for up to two basic land cards that share a land type. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Um, and Wastes is the sixth basic land. It is just Wastes, basic land, Taps for C. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us what the issue is with this interaction, Charlie. Well, you sort of spelled it out right there because Wastes does not have a basic land type. Wastes is a basic land with no subtype. It technically is also then the only basic land that actually has Oracle text. Because technically, even though it's not printed on the card, it has tap add C, right? Like, because you need like a subtype to tell you what the card does. Right. Cuz cuz subtypes on basic land types innately give a mana ability and waste doesn't have a subtype so it doesn't have an innate mana ability so it technically has rules text. But also technically the subtype gives the rules text to the other basic lands so they also have rules text but they don't technically have rules text printed on them, right? Mm-hmm. Like if there was a card that had the forest subtype and also had tap add green on it, it would technically have that ability twice. Right. That's why things like uh Dryad Arbor, Murmuring Boss have the mana ability in reminder text rather than in actual printed text. Right? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so since wastes doesn't have a basic land type, it can't uh well it doesn't have a land type at all i mean let alone a basic land type so it can't share a land type with anything else right Mm -hmm. lack of something is not that thing in magic right like two face down you know two morphs that are face down don't share a name or a creature type or whatever just because they don't have those characteristics right Mm -hmm. um so in this case you can't get two wastes with mirror landscape you can get one wastes. Oh, which is good fine, point. I guess. But, you know, at that point, why are you just not running, you know, evolving wilds or terramorphic expanse? Sure. Yeah. Or, you know. Uh, great point. But something I think that doesn't is... enter tapped and make your land enter tapped. <laughs> no, it doesn't cost <laughs> sure. you to activate. Prismatic Vista. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think this is something that people could stand to learn, though. Um, just looking at some of the colorless commanders on EDH rec, uh, you'll see that 21% of Kozilek the Great Distortion decks are running Myriad Landscape as well as Wastes. Um, mm-hmm. Traxo Scourge of Krug, uh, 23% of those are running Myriad mm-hmm. Landscape. Uh, 27% of Emrakul the Promised End decks are running Myriad Landscape. Um, yeah. Despite the fact that None of those decks are actually able to get the full two lands off of yeah. it when they crack it. For sure, that's an, an issue that commander players yeah. could could stand to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, if it said two basic lands that share a name, then you could get two wastes. That's fine, but it doesn't I, say that. I I'm pretty sure I need to like look at the exact timeline these things were printed. Um, but I think. When was Myriad Landscape first printed? Um, uh, it was Commander 2011, 2014. 
So it was in the okay. monocolor year. Uh, all right. So preceded wastes. Okay. Yeah. I think I remember yeah. like when, um, mm-hmm. when uh, Battle for Zendikar came out, I was like upset that they hadn't just said name in Myriad Landscape. But all right. We have uh, one little bonus category this is something that i'm sure you've seen come up a lot charlotte uh yeah tell tell us a little bit about urza's saga and specifically the third chapter on this card sure so urza's saga is a still far too expensive card um (laughs) it's a weird card because it's an enchantment land with subtype urza's saga although technically Technically, the subtypes should follow the same order as the types, so it technically should be Saga Urza's, but then it, the joke doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I will accept the weird templating. For yes, the, that's the, fine. The for joke. the joke, I will let it go. Um, so it's a la- so yes, it's a land that's a saga. Um, so it works like other sagas. Uh, notably, the third bit, the third chapter says, "Search your library for an artifact with mana cost zero, generic mana, or one generic mana." put it onto the battlefield and shuffle. Now, notably, it specifies those two exact mana costs and not mana value zero or mana value one or mana value one or less, like most other abilities do. So this means the card actually has to have zero printed as its mana cost or one printed as its mana cost. It can't be an artifact land that has a zero mana value. It can't be, you know engineered explosives that has an x mana value or you know uh what's the cornucopia with the triple x oh astral cornucopia yeah yeah it can't be like anything like that it actually specifically has to have that zero cost or the one cost so you can't get uh arkham's astrolabe with it or you know or like what else is a weird thing that people would want to get you can't get you know artifact uh, lands you can't get artifact lands you can't get uh Chalice of the Void. Yeah. But basically, it has to specifically have that printed cost, right? Like, mm-hmm. it can't... Oh, well, there's also some artifacts. Right? There's some color artifacts, too, right? So... Oh, yeah. Like a Dispeller's Capsule or something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, you can't get, like, Gold Hound or Executioner's Capsule or, you know, Portable Hole or, you know... Uh, mm-hmm. What's that? experimental synthesizer which is one that you know sees a reasonable amount of play in like popper and stuff right yeah yeah interesting you can't get esper sentinel right like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah the sweet modern horizons 2 combo or is a saga yeah. to get your esper sentinel <laughs> yeah but yeah great point um i, I think uh well Hopefully, Wizards is uh, aware of of how people are getting tripped up over these cards, um, and, and perhaps, like in some cases, they design their cards in the future to avoid some of the confusion. Yeah. Well, again, I'm sure in this case, the wording was very specifically that to prevent some things, like you know, getting S percent, you know, getting a land getting whatever, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think they really did not want, uh, Oh, what's the like soul ring, but suspend. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Alsman, Salt Alsman. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they wanted to deal with that in modern, understandably. Yeah. Or, yeah, but, I mean, any of that nonsense. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, it's a weird card. Just, again, read, reading the card explains the card. Although it doesn't particularly help that it has, you know, a colorless background so that the, um, you know, background on the mana symbols doesn't exactly show very well. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so close to like, yeah, like that, that, that specific was... that specific sort of slightly red tan color on the lands, right? Like, mm-hmm. Don't even know yeah. how you describe it, but all it takes definitely is just... a, a slight, definitely a slight reddish tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all it takes is like you know seeing a the word converted in there when it isn't, or seeing that reading that cost <laughs> is value, yeah, yeah. Uh, to to mess yourself up. Exactly. Or, you know, it's it's it has small text on it anyway, because it's a saga, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, when you're using that ability, you're usually putting it into your graveyard at the same time just to be efficient anyway. So you're not really like reading it. Yeah. Right? Or point. you're, you know, or you're like specifically, OK, so trigger on the stack, activate it again to make another construct. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, that's the usual line of play with it. Right. Then the trigger resolves. You get the thing, you sacrifice it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's more of a thing in, in like, you know, uh, you know, tournament formats, but it's still something I, you should be uh, aware of. Oh, for sure. We, like, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Urza Saga is in 112,000 decks on EDH Rec. Uh, so clearly this is being played yeah. often enough uh, to yeah. l- potentially lead to some some confusion in some yeah, of those. Just, games. just, just get your soul ring with it. If you don't have your soul ring yet, you're probably, that's probably one of the best things you can do. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to do nothing fancy. Cause it's probably not going to work out for you. All right. Well, that is the end of our list. Uh, I thank you so much for explaining yeah. all these interactions to Absolutely. us. Uh, clearly, um, there are a lot of opportunities to to get tripped up over the rules in a format as complicated yeah. this one, and we're all very lucky to have uh, high level judges such as yourself yeah. to explain the the finer points of the comprehensive rules. Yeah, no problem. Oh, if I can go back and make one note about uh, a fun use for one of the cards we mentioned. Before. Oh, please do. So Tano's the toy maker. Um, while it doesn't work with Parallelize or Doubling Season, it does work with Mutate. And there are a lot of mutate creatures that are birds or beasts. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, um, so notably, though, if you're actually using Thanos with mutate, it, since it's copying permanent spells, it doesn't have the built in. You can cha- change the target. So it's going to mutate on the same thing. But mm-hmm. that doesn't make. But I mean, that basically you basically just get free triggers, right? Um. Yeah, so let, let me think about this. So if you like mutate a migratory great horn onto something, yeah. The the yeah. copy, you get the copy, the copy resolves, you get the one mutate, and then the original yeah. resolves hitting the same thing and you get two new mutate triggers. So you get Correct. like three yeah. mutate yeah. triggers for the cost. Or, you know, you know what else is a beast? Auspicious Starks. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so if you, awesome. If you're mutating onto something that hasn't mutated before, you will get a trigger for one permanent 
then you'll get two triggers for two permanents. So you'll get like five permanents instead of, you know, one. So that probably is worth it. Or the very basic case, you know, Dreamtail Heron, which is when this mutates draw a card, you'll draw three cards versus one card. Right? Like, that is fantastic. Or, you know, Gem Razor, you'll destroy three artifacts or enchantments versus one. Right? Like, that's sweet. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's fun. And there are uh, 17 of the mutate cards, almost all of them red or all, almost all of them green or blue that are birds or beasts. Including uh, not all of them, they're all of the including all of the legendaries, except for uh, what is it? Uh, Snapdax and yeah, so Vadrock and Snapdax aren't birds or beasts, but well, I guess it's just beasts in this case. But yeah, but the other four are all beasts. So, although in the case of uh, Brokos, it won't do anything other than <laughs> it actually big doesn't fatty. do anything. Yeah, yeah, uh, but like with Nethroy. Ooh, with Nethroy, that's real good. Though you need to be in four colors for that to work. But. Oh, that would be sick. Uh, well, actually, like there is some uh, some hybrid pips on the Nethroy mutate in there, so maybe you can get away with yeah. running pure colors. Well, yeah, um, but you still technically need to have a, at least a four color, you know, in yeah. your command zone, right? Yeah, so. that's true. Um, so let's see. Uh, on the subject of just like cards that actually do work with some of these commanders we've discussed. Um, even though Ashes of the Fallen does not work with your your Hackons or your yeah. Zasks, uh, there are a couple cards that do. So Maskwood Nexus uh, specifically says that creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature code yeah. cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. So granting, yeah, granting uh, the relevant creature type to spells you control allows yeah. the card to work the way you want it to. Uh, same for conspiracy. Conspiracy also yeah. will allow you yeah. to do the thing. Any of the but, more recent, well, even conspiracy, but yeah, you need it to affect it on the stack as well. I mean, it's it's the it's the reason you can do the weird the weird infinite mill thing with a uh, leer and Merfolk secret keeper, right? Oh, I was not aware of this combo. Let me. Okay, so leer is the one that just. Flat gives all of your uh, your spells flashback. Yeah, so basically, um, you flashback. So again, it cares about what the spell is on the stack. So you cast the Adventure of Merfolk Secret Creature, which is I think Adventure Deeper. It's called. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so you cast that for its flashback cost, which is one. Then it resolves and wants to exile itself because it's an adventure. And since it's already going to exile, flashback is satisfied. So it exiles itself. And then you can cast the Merfolk Secret Keeper. And then if you have a way to get it back in your graveyard, you can cast it venture deeper from your graveyard again with Lear. Oh, that's so cool. Specifically, if you have, say, you know, Phyrexian Altar mm-hmm. or some way to sacrifice or if you have say Ashnod's altar and some way to wash colorless mana into colored mana, you know, you can go infinite with it real easy. 
That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. sort of reminds me of like the uh like blinking and unearth uh type interaction. Yeah. Like as long as exactly. you know, as long as the uh yeah. something's going to exile clause gets fulfilled, I don't care about what yeah. happens after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they specifically printed a card to take advantage of that in the forty K thing, didn't they? Or was it in Brothers War? Uh, in Brothers War, there was the the white enchantment. Is that the one you're thinking of? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Meticulous excavation. Two and a white. Return target permanent. You control to its owner's hand. If it has unearthed and said exile it, then return it to its owner's hand. Activate it during <laughs> their turn. Such goofy language. So funny. Yeah. But like they specifically made the card to let you do the unearth stuff, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I think that's all the the rules interactions we were going to go over today. Um, But I hope this has been informative for the friends of our listeners, uh, because our listeners, of course, would not make these mistakes. Um, Everyone makes mistakes, but (laughs) hopefully the listeners make fewer than most. Yes, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, we don't go back through our archive and find that we made these errors when, when discussing the cards in our set reviews, but... Perhaps a, mm-hmm. a diligent listener can show us the receipts. But thank you so much for coming on the show and, yeah, and explaining all this. It's been really fun. Yeah, not a problem. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's been excellent. Uh, if people have additional rules questions that they want to ask you, how can they get in touch with you, Charlotte? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Jackal Girl, which is JQL Girl. Uh, I also run the Magic Judge Tumblr, which is back in business uh, on, you know, Woo a semi-active basis but it's technically open and i'm trying to get back in the swing of it mm-hmm. um mostly i'm answering questions that i'm getting multiples of from different people just but yeah uh that's back in the business those are the best ways to get in touch with me i'm also on the community discord so mm-hmm. you can find me there in tinge um <laughs> and yeah i'm always happy to talk with people about the format answer rules questions etc well we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and of course to share your extensive rules knowledge uh, so that we can all play our cards a little bit better than before Um, but that's the end of our show thanks again for coming on charlotte and uh, we're so happy to to get a chance to get you back here always always hope to be back again soon You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, You can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.